Hello, everyone. Welcome to Sundays with Saima. This podcast is made for aspiring otolaryngologists to learn from trainees and attendings in the field. I'm your host, Saima Wase, fourth-year medical student at Northeast Ohio Medical University. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Wendell Yarbrough, Chair of Otolaryngology, Head and Neck Surgery, and Thomas J. Dark, Distinguished Professor at University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. He completed his medical degree, residency, and fellowship in head and neck surgery at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. Dr. Yarborough, thank you for joining me today. Thrilled to have you here. Well, thanks for the invite, Saima. I'm happy to, happy to be here and, and share some of the great things about otolaryngology. Yes, I'm so excited to hear about it. So what drew you to medicine in the first place? Um, you know, it was really a combination. I was always interested in medical sciences and thought I might be a researcher to begin with. Um, and um, as I started getting into research, um, I was really attracted more to research that involved human subjects um, and how it impacted their lives. And so that's, I sort of got back door into um, medicine altogether from that research interest and then realizing that I could do research and also um, affect uh, patients' lives and do transla- basically do translational research. And that's where I really had an interest. Okay, so that bench to bed- bedside kind of translational research was really what interested you in pursuing that dual physician scientist role? Yeah, absolutely. As I started, I I did some research in the chemistry department and I did some research in other areas. But when I, when I started doing some translational research um, and the first one that I got involved in was related to androgen receptor signaling and the androgen receptor itself. And that was about the time that, uh, Molecular biology was emerging. Um, the first tumor suppressor gene was discovered, which was retinoblastoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and PCR wasn't a technique yet. I mean, that's how far, how long ago we're talking. Uh, <laughs> did, um, that's, that's what got me interested in how research could um, integrate into uh, clinical care. Right, right. And then um, how did you land upon the specialty of otolaryngology? You know, I I, I tell a lot of people it's a little bit of a random walk. And um, I think because when I was rotating in medical school, I um, rotated through a lot of different clinical services. And when I got to otolaryngology, it just felt right. Um, The people were happy. They were good teachers. The anatomy was complex. The diseases were really intriguing um, and affected, um, you know, being human, um, you know, as far as eating and speaking and hearing. Um, and and that was really, I, I think, for some reason, it, it just felt right. Um, and I think that in, in large part was due to the people I interacted with who were otolaryngologists. Right. They are known for being the happy surgeons. So. <laughs> and I think that's true, and it makes a big difference. I mean, I didn't want to go into a, a, a specialty where nobody was happy and everybody was grumpy and, and um, not 
open and not giving and not trying to lift up the next you know generation. Um, and because I, that's just not something that excites me. I'm much better in an environment where um, we work as a team and everybody's trying to lift everyone else up. Right, right. It's very collaborative. And as a medical student, I always feel included on the team. So I understand that perspective as well. So um, then you still decided on head and neck surgery. Uh, what was the draw toward that subspecialty? Um, yeah, I was all um, I was always attracted to cancer um, from the knowledge and research side. Um, like I said, I was as I was coming along, molecular biology was sort of taking off. So all of these discoveries about oncogenes and tumor suppressor genes were were happening as I was um, coming through my training in school. And um, that was just really exciting thinking that we were learning more and more about um, these tumors and what makes them progress. And I just saw a lot of potential for being able to help our patients out. And um, um, I also was very attracted to the surgery, the open type of surgery um, with the complex anatomy um, and the complex reconstruction. So all of that just seemed to be a really good fit. Right. And the complexity of it is very interesting. And you mentioned it being open surgery. Do you see the role of TORS kind of expanding? Just curious to hear your opinion yeah, on that. Absolutely. Um, I do. I, I think um, over the last maybe 15, 20 years, we are seeing more and more that we can do with minimally invasive surgery. Um, of course, for years, um, we've been doing transoral surgery, just not with a robot. Uh, we've been doing it either transoral just with, you know, our eyes or loops or with microscopes and lasers and those types of things. So I really just see the robot as one more extension of, of things that we've been doing for a long time. And as the robot gets better and as uh, more flexible and as visualization gets better, um, it's, it's really going to be a great tool for us. Um, there's still some uh, difficulties. I mean, I think we're still learning with the robot um, and reconstruction is, is also challenging um, with the robot if reconstruction needs to be done. But I, I do think that will um, advance as well. And then we're gonna be able to do more and more without as much open surgery. Um, um, so I, I do see a very bright future for that. Sure, sure. And I can't imagine that head and neck surgery would not always include some small component of open surgery as well, if there's some extensive reconstruction as well needed. Yeah, I mean, probably in my career, I'll, I'll, there'll always be open components. But it, in the long run, who knows? I mean, right. uh, who, who knows with advances in molecular therapies and mm. uh, those types of things? I think there'll be some combinatorial um therapies and they may be able to minimize what we do and you know minimization is 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 fun first of all but the really the point of it is to try to have our patients function as good as they can at the end of it so anything i think head neck surgeons will embrace anything that's going to give our patients um, great oncologic outcomes but also improve their long-term function. And there's a lot of work going on right now 
trying to de-escalate therapy for HPV-associated cancers and, and for other low-risk cancers, how do we do that safely from a cancer standpoint so that our patients are not saddled with the long-term side effects mm-hmm. of, of the treatment we currently give? Right, right. And speaking of molecular biology, you were one of the first scientists to um, discover the gene CDKN2A, which encodes for tumor suppressors P16 and ARF. Um, Would you mind giving a brief explanation on the molecular biology? Um, No, I would not mind at all. (laughs) It's it's a great story. and I was very fortunate to be involved in that um, early on. But, um, you know, the, the tumor suppressor gene P16 was found, you know, as I was doing research. And um, one of my um, mentors actually was involved in, in that discovery. Um, and that gene, ironically, is the same gene we use to identify HPV-associated tumors. Its expression identifies tumors that are HPV-positive. But anyway, it's a tumor suppressor gene. It's a cyclin-dependent kinase inhibitor. Where I really came into the story is um, we found two transcripts for that gene that were different sizes. Um, And this was before RNA-seq and all of those things. We found it basically by um, um, a technique that is rarely used anymore, but people have heard of it, probably northern blots. Um, (laughs) And... uh, Basically, we didn't know what the other transcript was, but when we dug into it, we did find out it, it contained sequence that overlapped with um, the P16 sequence. Um, but it, it still wasn't clear what it did. Most people thought it was going to be a truncated P16. Okay. Uh, so, so basically, we explored a little bit of its function, and we, using yeast 2 hybrid analysis, we found that it interacted with a protein called MDM2 which is the major regulator of P53. So basically this, this other transcript is transcribed in an alternate reading frame and that sort of gave it its name, which is ARF uh, for alternate reading frame. Um, but basically but this one gene, uh, CDKN2A, encodes both P16 and ARF and P16s um, and um, activator of RB and ARF is an activator of P53. So okay. this, this one gene basically um, um, encodes two tumor suppressor genes that affect both the RB and P53 pathway. And that may explain why it's so frequently mutated in human cancer, because one hit uh, to this gene can affect both of those major tumor suppressor pathways. Sure. And in terms of the translational research in tumor suppressors, do you see an impact on the therapies in time over head and neck surgery? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I I think molecular biology is going to open up a a lot of potential treatments. Now, unfortunately, head and neck cancer is not oncogene driven as much as some other tumors. Um, and therefore, we have not had the, the early treatment advances that you've seen in some other cancers because most cancer treatments are targeting oncogenes. Um, mm-hmm. And the cancer is more of a tumor suppressor gen, uh, driven tumor. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think we are learning more and more about molecular vulnerabilities of both HPV positive and HPV negative uh, tumors. And I, I have confidence that we are getting closer and closer to more personalized treatment based on molecular characteristics of the tumor. Now, some of these are probably going to be combination therapies, um, and some of these are going to be immune activating therapies. Um, but, but there are already active trials um, based on molecular characteristics of the tumors. We've been focusing on HPV positive uh, recently and are exploring a, a vulnerability. Uh, those tumors are hypermethylated. So we're using demethylation therapy as a treatment. We've already um, completed one window trial and we have another window trial in combination with immune therapy that we're looking to open very soon. Okay. So the the key to the treatment will be combination therapy. And you mentioned your second window trial will have the immunotherapy as well. So that's an interesting approach and good to know for us medical students. <laughs> yeah, it's um, well, hopefully it'll work. But, you know, it is one of the most exciting things to see research that you've done starting to make it to the clinic and potentially impact patients, um, patient care. That's really what we all strive for. And that's really one of the things I'm very proud of. Mm -hmm. Right. It must lead to immense career satisfaction. Yeah, it's really great when, when that happens. It's a long road, but it is really great. Right. Basic science can be difficult and taxing and unforgiving, but it sounds like it has really been a rewarding journey for you. Yeah, it definitely has. Do you have any advice for medical students interested in starting a career in otolaryngology? Um, I don't know if it's advice, really, but I would encourage them to. I mean, otolaryngology as as a field that really has a ton of opportunities, almost regardless of what you're interested in. We treat children. We treat geriatric populations, we treat cancer, we, we treat um, sensory neural hearing loss and conductive hearing loss. And um, there is a lot of satisfaction in what we do and our ability to help patients. Um, one of the most common things that um, affects people's ability to carry on their lives is sinusitis and inflammatory sinus disease. And the things we can do now for that with new drugs emerging and new techniques um, for um, opening sinuses um, and new implants so that that sinuses can be continuously treated is really exciting as well. So I would just say you don't really pigeonhole yourself when you go into otolaryngology because there's still so many different areas you can go into. If you love the microscopic work, you can do that. If you like the bigger open surgery, you can do that. And the research opportunities are really endless. Right, right. And there's this misconception that otolaryngology is this very hyper-specialized field um, outside of the field. So I like that you touched on that. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. In some ways, I think otolaryngologists are primary care doctors for the upper air digestive tract. Um, you know, we don't have a medical specialist that a specialty that does what we do on the surgical side. So we sort of become the medical doctors and the surgeons um, at the same time. And, and that's really a nice thing. We, we have big clinics. We see our patients back long term. And we do a lot of medical treatment for diseases of the upper air digestive tract. And that's a, that's a balance that I personally like. And I think people that go into olaryngology like. Um, but that's one of the things for medical students, as you're thinking about this, if you don't want to do any clinical work, then otolaryngology is probably not for you. And if you don't want to do any procedural work, then otolaryngology may not be for you either. <laughs> if you like a combination and, and having some flexibility, then otolaryngology is a good choice. Right, right. So um, last but not least, this question may be triggering for Duke fans. So now would be the time to silence your audio for the next minute or so. <laughs> but being the definition of a true Tar Heel, do you um, have a favorite memory of UNC basketball? Um, oh, I have a lot of favorite memories of UNC basketball, um, you know, a lot of them are victories over Duke, of course. So I'm glad you told the, the Dukies to leave uh, beforehand. <laughs> but um, no, I was I was here um, in school as an undergrad when Michael Jordan was here. We were in the same class, so I certainly remember a lot of those games. And uh, one of my one of my favorites was when. Uh, Lefty Drizelle was coaching Maryland, and this is this goes back to the dark ages. Um, and Dean Smith was coaching UNC, and we were playing at Carmichael, and uh, Michael Jordan was on the team, um, and Maryland was down by one point with five seconds left, and Drizelle called a timeout. His son was on the team at the time, so he designed this beautiful play to get his son open for a layup to win the game against Carolina and Carmichael. I think it would have been his life achievement for uh, Lefty Giselle. Okay. Uh, and um, the play was just beautiful. And I was at the game and his son was wide open for a layup at, at the end of the play. And I just knew we were going to lose to Maryland because you could just see that layup going in. And out of nowhere, Jordan came and pinned it on the backboard um, and won the game for UNC. And that's when Lefty picked up his chair and threw it across the court. And uh, I think that was really, really a, a, a great memory for me. <laughs> well, it was a moment in history and it's <laughs> interesting that you were there to see it. That's so exciting and definitely an incredible memory. Um, so it sounds like UNC was a holds a special place in your heart. And I, I hope people consider it this year when they're applying and wow. in the future. Oh, thanks, Sam. I, I do too. I mean, it, it's it's a really great program, um, not just from basketball standpoint, but also from otolaryngology. We um, we do have um, you know a very diverse program. Um, we have representatives, uh, multiple faculty members in every division of otolaryngology, and we do a lot of uh, advanced care, but we do a lot of basic care too for patients. So I think you get to see the whole gamut. Um, here at UNC, um, and I think it would be a really good experience for anybody who wants to come here. So 
Thank you. Absolutely. I did my AI there, so I have a special place for it in my heart as well. So today we heard from Dr. Yarbrough, his path to otolaryngology and head and neck surgery, um, what interested him in taking a dual physician scientist role, which is unique, and some of the advice that he had to share for students interested in the field. So thanks for listening. Thank you, Dr. Yarbrough. Any final thoughts? No, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. We enjoyed hearing from you and tune in next Sunday to hear from Sundays with Zyma.